Thank you for joining us at Alabama Care Live. I'm here with Dr. Graham Sisson, and we're excited to be talking to everybody today about policy and procedure involved around supported decision making. And I'm so excited to introduce you. Um, Dr. Sisson serves with the Governor's Office on Disability, and he's been doing so for over 12 years now. And so in my work with what I do, I seek out experts on different topics. And so the expert that I found on policy, procedure, legislative issues is Dr. Graham Sisson. So welcome. Yeah, well, welcome. Good morning. So I know we're wearing our masks to be especially safe during these uh, COVID times and the uh, highly contagious Delta variant, Mu variant. So we're keeping ourselves safe and other people. So. All right. Um, so, uh, Kim, what kind of questions do you have this morning? How, I've got a few I, for you. Okay, um, okay. The, where I want to kind of start out with is creating the big picture around right. supported decision making, shared decision making. It's a relatively new topic in the field of disability, but it's been around other states for about five, six years now relatively even newer than that in Alabama. And so when we look at the big picture about supported decision-making and what's going on nationally, um, each state has kind of gone forward doing their own thing based on the idea that there should be better alternatives or more alternatives toward guardianship. Um, and so that's where this all kind of stems from because if there are people who can live their lives as their own guardian and maybe get some kind of support in that process, then that's a much less restrictive um, environment for them to live in. And so that was the goal or the foundation, the thinking behind supported decision-making when this movement started. And um, going forward, it hasn't changed. That's still the goal. There's just, we're finding as we go, different ways we can all do that. And so in that, um, we have different states that have supported team agreements, a more formalized version of supported decision-making, or we have states that say, we don't care how you do it, just do it. And so it's more open and less formal. Um, what I'm excited about, and I want you to kind of talk about, is the up and coming policy and partners in policy program that just started. And I know you know all about that probably more than most. And so that kind of goes hand in hand with where we're going to go with this today. So if you don't mind um, sharing a little bit about partners in policymaking and telling everybody your experience with that and how it started and where we're going now. Sure. I know that partners in policymaking is a national program. And uh, we we call it PIPA in Alabama, Partners Policymaking of Alabama. And it's a program through the Alabama Council for Developmental Disabilities. And, uh, and basically, it, it's, it's, about, it's about training parents and persons with developmental disabilities to become better advocates in legislation and policy. Um, and, and partners and policymaking have a great network across the country. And it was formed by an individual, I think, who was a family member. And that individual wanted, you know, it's having people with developmental disabilities and their families be at the table. 
in making policy and contacting their legislators. And, and it's uh, Alabama it had been funded for a long time. Then I think there was some confusion about whether they could continue to fund that program because most of the time the Alabama Council for Development of Disabilities provides a seed money to start a program. And that program has to sustain itself. But I think a lot of other uh, uh, councils for developmental disabilities, which are federally funded programs around the country, were continuing to fund right. their their partners in policy making programs. So that's a, and, and I think that Alabama now has a new executive director, Daryl Powell, and I think Daryl's very good individual, very knowledgeable, and uh, and he helped facilitate that. So I want to give him a lot of credit for it. And then of course, all the former past graduates of Partners Policymaker of Alabama were also instrumental. And I think they set, they have set up an advisory committee uh, to, to help it focus on different areas. So when, when you talk about policy, what is policy? I mean, policy a lot of times is dictated by what what's in the law or what's in a, a statute, you know, and it's also dictated sometimes by regulations and uh, policy gives you direction on particular issues. It's something that's put down in writing and helps guide future action. So here in you know support decision making, the whole thing is give people with disabilities control over their own lives. You know that I'm preaching the choir here. I know <laughs> that you know everything that I'm saying, but but I, I mean I've you know, I have a developmental disability, not from birth, but because mine occurred before age 21, I was paralyzed and suffered a closed head injury at age 17. But I've seen, you know, people with disabilities are trying to get their seat at the table. They're trying to make sure that they are fully integrated in society. And you can't really be fully integrated if somebody else is making decisions for you that affect your life. And, you know, some people are well-meaning, but the person that knows the most about their disability is the person with the disability. So they should be able to have control of their lives as much as they can. And so the support decision-making team, by putting a team of individuals that can help guide that person in different areas, like where they want to live. Most people don't want to live in an institution where they don't have control when they eat, when they go to sleep those type of things. They want to be, you know, like other adults, you know, living on their own, making decisions about all those things. Um, and so if you live in an institution, you don't get to make all those decisions. And it's about quality of life. I mean, we all want a good quality of life, just like everybody else. It's about living the American dream. You can't live the American dream if you're stuck in an institution. I mean, that's not the American dream, not have control of your life. So the idea of self-determination, people determine, you know, individuals with significant disabilities, with developmental disabilities, determine the direction of their lives. So, and um, I don't know how much specific, uh, I'm gonna let you ask the question. So that's kind of my overview about policy and how policy and legislation are tied together. You know, legislation creates the laws legislation release leads to the development of regulations but it puts something firm in there it's it's something that guides and and it's something that's solid and firm and without that you know you don't have direction 
I agree 100%. Thank you. That was a great big picture definition. Um, the supported, the term supported decision making is new for a lot of people, but I don't want that to make people scare people away. And just because it's a new term, you haven't heard it. It literally means what it says. It's people that gather around another person to support them in their decisions, not to make those decisions for them, which is, I think, a really clear distinction to draw there, but to support them in their decisions. Um, I think also what's important to recognize is that we all have or participate in some kind of form of supported decision making almost every day. Um, I'll give you an example that somebody shared with me when I go online to purchase an item and I'm not really sure about whether or not I should purchase that item. I can go and look at customer reviews in most of these places. And if you've got the bulk of those customer reviews that are good, then the decision you're about to make is supported by those other customer reviews. Does that make sense? Yes, ma'am. So that's an easy way to understand it. It simplifies it. But we all use supported decision-making um, in one way or another. Um, big ways or small, but that's kind of going forward, the idea behind supporting someone with an intellectual developmental disability um, just depends on the person. They might need more help or less help in supporting those decisions, but it puts them in the decision-making seat. Um, for example, if somebody I knew were told when to wake up and what to wear, and what they were gonna eat every day and whether or not they were gonna go to a place they wanted to go to if they would be able to, then they're not making their own decisions, right? All those decisions are being made for them. Um, and typically, historically in the past, we've seen that kind of pair up with the fact that they do not have guardianship. They, they've, lost, they've relinquished their guardianship. Somebody else has been become their guardian, right? Um, so that's where this all kind of stems from. Um, in that, in looking at the fact that guardianship is involved, then you start to question or then you start to look for demonstrations of competency. So can you talk to us a little bit about presuming competency and what you've seen in your years of experience when that comes into question and how that plays into guardianship? Well, I know in order to guardianship arises when a person is unable to handle their own affairs. Um, Kim asked me to describe, this is a Graham Sisson, asked me to describe what competence is and, and how that relates to guardianship and supported decision-making. And what, what I was describing earlier was that in a guardianship, um, there, there is the assumption made or the ruling made that somebody is not mentally competent, that they're not able to handle their own affairs. And I was saying that the Latin term for that is non-compos mentis. And uh, for somebody being unable to handle their affairs, uh, the guardian then takes over all the decision-making in that person's life. They can't do anything without the approval of the guardian. And uh, support decision-making transfers 
it assumes a certain level of competence uh, of an individual with a, with a developmental disability or significant disability to make their own decisions. But in sport decision-making, they're, they're given coaching, they're given additional assistance in making their own decisions, which, which, which causes their level of competence to go up. It, it ensures that they are in control of their decision-making in their lives. And so they are competent with respect to that decision-making because of the health of the team. So I think that's what the question you wanted to answer. That's I exactly, hope, yeah. I hope I answered it. So and I hadn't heard the Latin you. term before, so that was cool. Well, you know, we got to, I got to, I got to use that two years of Latin I had in high school, so. That <laughs> doctorate's degree comes in handy. Yeah, exactly. You know, I, I got to, got to justify all that. So no, seriously, um, a lot, lot of folks, um, you never want to be designated that. And people used to be a rush to get a guardianship. I remember when they, you know, that was a trend rush, get a guardianship. So you're, you can take over, but it is so restrictive. Um, it really, you know, you just had all that with a uh, Britney Spears and it's probably going to be something that you're going to talk about mm -hmm. and that, what a negative impact that had on her life. So, yeah. Um, we just learned, I think two days ago, that her father actually petitioned to drop hit the conservatorship off totally, altogether, completely. So that's a huge win, in my opinion, for Britney Spears because of the level of control she had been submitted to for so many years. Um, going forward, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. But I think that she got what she was asking the court to get in that I need somebody to help me remove these barriers, which in her case was coming in the form of control through other people. Um, the, the best of intentions are sometimes laid out for people who might have some kind of, whether it's mental illness, whether it's an intellectual disability, whether it's a developmental disability, there may very well be those around them who have the best of intentions and think that they are protecting someone. But in the long run, what we see is that there are a lot of rights and personal freedoms that are lost when that happens, um, just because they do have to get permission from somebody else to do almost anything that anybody else would just do without giving it a second thought. Um, in my own experience, I can tell you in the schools with my son, his junior and senior year, almost every IEP meeting we went to, we were told by the experts, um, you should seek guardianship. Your son's about to be 19. And in the state of Alabama, that means that the doctors won't talk to you, his mom, if you're not his guardian. In the state of Alabama, that means when he turns 19, we're not going to be able to share his words with you um, if you're not his guardian. So it wasn't, it wasn't a threat, but it, it felt intimidating. And I didn't, as a parent, I didn't really understand what all was involved. Um, thank goodness for Colby speaking up at the time that he did and telling us he wanted to go to college. Um, we listened to him and we explored that option. And what we found out in so doing was that 
if you're going to go to college, Colby, to be accepted into this program for the kind of experience you're wanting, you have to be your own guardian. We can't be your guardian. That was part of the process of being accepted. So we were kind of in a catch-22 there. Do we listen to the expert at our school telling us we need to be his guardian or else, or do we send him out there as his own guardian so that he might get accepted into this program? And so we did, and he's been accepted and he's enrolled and he's having the time of his life. I can literally say he's living his best life right now and loving it, but what if, we had listened to the experts at school like so many other parents are advised to do and become his guardians. I don't think his life would, well, minus the money, right? I don't think his life would have looked much different than Brittany Spears. And there would have been a lot of rights that he were restricted from doing. So I'm so glad we didn't do that. I'm so glad we didn't go that route. Um, we kind of covered capacity. And so one thing I wanted to point out real quick too, is that you can go online. There's something called the National Resource Center for Supported Decision-Making online. You can Google that. And what it is, is it's a website that basically transfers information in real time, as close as to real time as they can get it with all of the legislative process that's going on around the nation as it applies to supported decision-making. And so that kind of helps me keep up with or the pulse of this movement and what's going on out there. And so when I did that just the other day, we are up to 13 states now that have legislation on the table supporting supported decision-making in their state. So I'm gonna read that list off for everybody real quick and then we'll talk about the differences. The first one is Alaska, and then Colorado, Delaware, District of Columbia, Indiana, Louisiana, Nevada, North Dakota, Rhode Island, Texas, Washington, Wisconsin, and Massachusetts is right in the middle of it. There's a bump, it's probably October. So <clears throat> between all of that and knowing Alabama's history, I'm kind of making sure or trying to do my best to make sure we're not last on this and that we don't drag our feet here. So I feel a sense of urgency to get this out there so Alabama doesn't wait too long. Um, now within each one of those states, obviously they all have their own way of doing it. Um, some of them have strongly supported the team agreements in a more formal way. Some of them have been very loose and doesn't matter what you do or how you do it. Um, one that has supported the team agreements is Indiana. And they actually want you to go get a notary to get your team agreement recognized by the courts. So another one that is incredibly loose and they don't, it doesn't matter is Colorado. And they, what, however you wanna do it. They said, if you wanna do it in a more formal way, go for it. If you wanna do it in a less formal way, go for it. It doesn't matter to us will recognize whatever it is that you're wanting to do. Um, so I feel like there's still a lot to learn since it's so new, but what we're seeing is that it's working and courts are starting to recognize it as a viable alternative to guardianship. And that's exciting. Um, I, my question for you 
is if we want Alabama to be next, we don't want Alabama to be last. I know as well as you know, this is a process and it doesn't happen overnight, right? Right. But a lot of people like me, the parents, the typical average citizen that wants something to happen, really, we don't have a clue as to where to go and what to do, who to talk to, and what action steps to take. And so that's why I got really excited about partners and policymaking, because I think that's going to help a lot of people figure all that out. Um, but if you could pretend we're in a very short, abbreviated version of partners in policymaking, and I came to you and said, what would my next steps be? How would we go about doing this and getting our legislators to recognize supported decision making as a viable alternative to guardianship? What would your answer be? How would you clue well, me in there? The first thing um, I said, find out who your local legislator is, who your state senator and your state representative is. And I said, you can go to the Alabama legislature website. There's a feature on there called Find Your Legislator, I think. And it's www.alabama.legislature.gov. Let's get that in the comment chat. Okay. So, and in that, um, you can find out who your legislator Then you set up a meeting, set up a meeting with them when they're out of session. Right. You don't go down to the legislature and try to meet with them then because they're, they have so many people uh, competing to get their ear. And so, but if it's called good home cooking. That's a, a lot of people have stated that good home cooking, make contact in your local area and then have an idea, you know, take, take one of those states that you want to follow and you want to follow in Alabama. You know, I can give you an example where we we had a law called the um the uh the assistive uh technology uh warranty act not warranty but a um lemon law oh. kind of like it was pattern after lemon law for cars you know but if you had like a piece of technology and it didn't do what it's supposed to do what could you do and so it's called lemon law for assistive devices and it was patterned after the law in Louisiana. We didn't follow everything Louisiana did, but it gives you a starting point. And you can take that piece of legislation, the legislator will take it to, it used to be called the Legislative Reference Service, but it combined with the Legislative Fiscal Office as a new entity down there. But the legislator, if you hand them a piece of legislation like things and go over the terms with them, that way you're not reinventing the wheel. And the reason I mentioned Louisiana, it's in the Southeast. You know, I, in the legislature, like, well, we want to follow something they're doing in Massachusetts. Right. They might follow what they're doing in Indiana, but I know if you say, well, it's from California, you're like, right. come on, this is Alabama, it's right. not California. So you want to make sure Southeast would be preferable, but, you know, Indiana, you know, Midwest might be okay too. Just want to make sure where it's coming from. But some may be good ideas that you could modify to uh to fit alabama so but again so that's the process and then of course you it'd be preferable to get what we call pre-filed and the next legislative session i think starts january 11th which is early they normally start in like february or march you know and they have 105 days when they can meet before and that's usually at the end of may but here 
it'll be sooner than May. Um, but the we're in what's called the fourth year of the quadrennium. Quadrennium is basically every four years. Getting back to that last quad meaning four. So every four years, but the the last year of the quadrennium, they meet sooner, you know, okay. in January. So January 11th, but you ideally you should be meeting with your legislator in October, oh, yeah. you know, and get that thing all together, get them to pre-file it, you know, in November or December. And then if you want, then you know, you contact me to see if I could, if the governor's, if the governor would support it. Sure. see if that and i can get with the governor's legislative people the governor has a person in the house and a person in the senate is her legislative liaisons so find so, some friends in high places well the thing is that's part of the process is getting the support right doing your homework but also when you do homework find out what objections there might be to that piece of legislation and and see if you can't address those I mean, know what your opposition is going to be too when you get there, so you can you can address those concerns about it, um, and you know, speak about. It. We even put together for some piece of legislation uh, talking points where we're talking about the volunteer transportation providers legislation right. and uh, how that you know transportation is the number on what unmet need of people with disabilities across you know across disability, and that. A lot of uh, we have transportation resources in Alabama, but very limited. Some of them are underutilized, yeah. and one that's underutilized is uh, church buses. And churches could use the buses during the week that have lifts on them to transport people with disabilities to their medical appointments. Okay, voluntarily. Voluntarily, yeah. but they're worried about liability, and right. this legislation would prevent them from being sued. It would give them what's called Good Samaritan. Good Samaritan protects from liability. So we're able to get fast, but one of the organizations, the uh, the Alabama Nurses Association was, they backed us on that legislation. So we got, you can bring in different groups to support you in, in your your efforts to get to get it passed. And, and, but the other thing about legislation, it takes, sometimes it takes several years to get it passed. You know, you rarely ever get a piece of legislation passed the first year you introduce it. Right. Sometimes, I'm not saying you can't, but sometimes it takes three to five years. So, so persistence pays off. We, we're in a democracy and uh, change to democracy is incremental, meaning one step at a time, very slow. So be patient when you're trying to get a piece of legislation passed. Um, if you keep working at it, you'll get it passed. But you know, there's a lot of things that happen that has nothing to do with your bill in the legislature. Sometimes they get backed up on budgets right. and they got to get the budgets. That's like the number one thing they got to pass in legislature are budgets. And sometimes they wait until the very end to pass the budgets so they run out of time to do everything. To do everything. So your bill never gets decided. There's something called the special order calendar. It has to be put on that calendar to be brought up for a vote. And it starts out in a committee, okay? And the committee gives it a favorable report. On, if it gets a favorable report in committee, then it goes to the whole body to to debate and vote on. So, so you're not even getting in until you get that vote. Yeah, you get a you get a favorable report from the committee that's assigned to. Okay. And and sometimes the uh, the committee that's assigned to will make the difference whether or not it's passed. Right. Right. So gosh. So it, it's a process, but I mean, it's not impossible. 
and it just takes patience and it takes um, persistence in contact with folks and being upright, up you know, upfront. Uh-huh. You want to be upfront, and when you talk with your legislators about it, uh, never lie. Right. Always tell the truth, and if you don't know the answer to a question, say, "Look, I need to research that. Let me get back to you." Sure. Just be totally above board. Don't exaggerate. You know, tell them exactly. And if they have a question they ask you that you can't answer, tell them you get back to them. I'll find the answer. You'll find the answer. I'll get back to you. I'll find the answer. So it, it's about building relationships like everything right. else. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. You build a relationship with the legislator. Keep your credibility. Maintain your credibility. Because if you if you do something that's not above board, if you, if you fudge on something, you lose your credibility. You know, you don't like getting anything else. That's right. Yeah. From you, you'll have to get somebody else. So right. that's important. So being steadfast, giving the correct information, going through the process. That's easier said than done sometimes, but it makes sense. Um, that has been my life experience with Colby and advocating is just to be persistent and make sure you're building those relationships with intention and with purpose, um, which is kind of cool because that's what the team agreements are all about with supported decision-making is building those foundational relationships that you can get to know other people that you really trust and have mutual respect for to kind of help guide you and move you forward, right? Um, so thank you for that so much. Um, what One last question for you, because I've, seen you accomplish a lot just in the short time that I've known you and I'm sure there's a lot that I don't even know that you've accomplished but if you could pick from every the last 20 so years of your service if you could pick some of your favorite um, pieces or laws or legislation that you passed that you've helped get passed or create what would those be right and keep in mind that I'm just one part of of a many team. people, the team work together. So I don't mean not to give anybody else credit because there's plenty of other credit to be given. But I mentioned about the tra- volunteer transport volunteer transportation providers legislation, the lemon law for assistive devices, but also we've made a lot of work on accessible parking. Because okay. um, to me, accessible parking is a civil right guaranteed by the Americans with Disabilities Act. A lot of people flippantly just you know, I'll only be there five minutes or, you know, nobody's using it, I'll use it. And, right. um, so we put things there in there to make it easier for the people, for the police to enforce it. We're proud of that stuff. Like one piece of legislation, we do it in little pieces. Cause if you put a whole lot of stuff in a piece of legislation, the greater the chance that somebody will find objection one part. So you break it down into the smaller parts. One part was, whether or not police could go on private lots and give tickets. A lot of police, so I can't police, a lot of police still think today, we had that change made in 1997, which says that police may go on private lots to give tickets to violators of accessible parking. A lot of people call it handicapped parking. I don't like the word handicap, so more accurate term is, is accessible, accessible parking. parking. Another thing we did for parking that, uh, is that we uh, made clear that police can tow vehicles illegally parked. 
even if they're on private property. Yes. Yep. And police can also uh, issue tickets for people parked on access aisle. The access aisle is the hash mark, the cross striped um, part of the accessible parking space that actually makes it accessible. Excellent. That's the part that oh, I, I get my wheelchair on. Somebody gets a lift, it's the extra space because person using a lift or need more space or a walker or a wheelchair needs more space to get out of the car. So, um, because it's fine if you have transportation, but you can't park and you can't access service. So it all fits together. So we've made those changes over the years to authorize police. They can ticket people parked in access aisles. They can tow them if they're parked in access aisles. But you would think that'd be a quick fix. And something else that happened with accessible parking, there was a sign that says, the, the law required you to have the minimum fine on sign. And that we thought, well, if the minimum fine, people see how much it is, they won't park there. But it was actually being used as a technicality. Police were, were not allowing, or courts, municipal courts were saying, well, look, it didn't have the minimum fine on it, so we're not gonna enforce it. Oh, wow. And so we had to take that, that language from a shell and turn it to a may, may have the, the minimum fine instead of shell. Wow. So, but you know how long it took us to change shell to may? That took a few legislative sessions. Do you think you'd get that in the first legislative session? More than two years. Yes. Three or four years. Yeah. Oh, wow. Changing a shell to a may, but oh, it made goodness. a difference. So we, you got to give, you know, we're talking about creating tools and, and what you're doing with support decision-making is creating another tool that people can use instead of guardianships right. to preserve a person's right, but to get them the stuff they need to be successful in life. Right. Amen. That was a really good way to sum it up. So I think that about covers everything. I can't think of any more questions. Do you have any particular advice going forward for people that want to learn more about partners in policymaking in Alabama and want to learn more about um, advocating on their local level? Is there anything specific? I know you mentioned some websites we can put into the comments. Okay. Um, um, anything else? Well, I think I think one thing is to, uh, no matter what I say and all the tips I give you, you learn by doing. So just go out there and start doing. Start somewhere. Start small. Talking to other people. Talking to other people. Get an idea. Doing the research like you did on all the other presenting states the that have done, presenting the information, getting all your facts together, you know, increasing your own knowledge so that you can speak with, with authority and you can speak very, very concisely or short sentences. You know, when you meet with the legislator, don't give them your whole life story because they don't have two or three hours usually to meet with you. Some may do that. <laughs> Sometimes only five or 10 minutes. So yeah. make it you know, hit it quickly and, and concisely and get right to the point. But again, um, pe legislators are people with disabilities. Um, uh, and and they're elected by us to, to represent us. So don't be afraid of them, but respect them. I'm not saying go and be a jerk to them and just tell them, hey, I'm your boss, you gotta do what I tell you. 
I'm not saying that, right. but they can be your partner. They can be your friend. And I think legislators are good people. Yeah. You know, they got a mission They they're elected. They want to make a difference. I would have good intentions and right. they want to help people. That's right. what it's all about is helping people. And I sincerely believe that each and one, every single legislator wants to help people. That's why they're in the position. So help them to help people. Help, help me help you. Yeah. Help me help you. And it's a, you know, it's not like buying a used car where it's a win-win situation, but, you know, you they're changing people's lives for the better, and you are too. Everything you do has an impact on other people, and you want to have a positive impact. Awesome. Thank you so much. For your You're welcome. Today. You're welcome. This has been my pleasure, and thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate your insight and all your helpful tips and your experience. So that'll do it. If y'all have any questions, feel free to put them into the comments and the chat and we will um, respond accordingly. So thank you so much for joining us. And until next time, this was Kim Spangler and Dr. Graham Sisson. All right. Thank you. Y'all have a good day.